Once I got to say is Sandy cheated because she put chocolate in her banana bread? <laughs> I did not. So all of you who are banana bread purists, I'm your girl. So if you would all please uh, join me in our scripture of the day from the book of Exodus. You will find it printed in your bulletin. It is also going to be on your screen. So let us say this verse together. I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy God, may all that we do and say in this day be well and good in your sight. Amen. So my dad once told me a story about a friend of his, Danny, that he grew up with in his neighborhood on Detroit's east side. This was back in the Depression era, so many kids were forced to work, regardless of their age, in order to help out the family. So Danny, around the age of eight or nine years old, began to work at his grandfather's chicken restaurant. At that age, she couldn't do a whole lot more than sweep the floors, wipe down counters and tables, and take out the trash. Danny's grandfather paid him a fair wage, though, very meager and modest, of course. Danny, being raised in a strict Irish Catholic family, was taught the spiritual discipline of tithing. And this was non-negotiable in their household, even though the family was struggling to make ends meet in the heart of the Great Depression. So every Sunday, without fail, Danny would give 10% of his weekly earnings back to the church. And in the early days, that meant he would merely drop pennies in the offering plate. As Danny grew older and the Great Depression waned, his responsibilities at his grandfather's chicken restaurant increased, and so did his wages, and so did his tithes to the church. Every Sunday, without fail, Danny gave his tithe to his local parish. Danny loved the little chicken restaurant his grandfather created, and eventually he knew all the ins and outs of the business, and he was good at it too and soon learned that he was actually a savvy restaurateur and entrepreneur. After his grandfather retired, Danny took over the family business, and before long, he actually opened up a few more locations within the metro Detroit area. Yet again, as Danny's wages increased, so did his tithes to the church. After many years of running the business, Danny's grandfather's one little chicken restaurant became a national chain with locations in just about every state. And Danny became a very, very wealthy man. And yes, through it all, he continued to tithe to the Catholic Church. And this generosity didn't go unnoticed. So one day, the cardinal who oversaw the Archdiocese of Detroit asked Danny if they could meet, to which Danny, of course, gladly said yes. Over a cup of coffee, the cardinal said to Danny, my son, you have been incredibly faithful to the church over the years and have been incredibly generous. 
You have literally given us millions of dollars. So I am wondering, what can the church do for you? Wow, Danny said. This is a kind question, and I, I guess I've never really thought about it, but, but I suppose, now that you ask, would you all consider changing the words of the Lord's Prayer to give us this day our daily chicken? <laughs> the Cardinal was very, very taken aback by this request and said, My son, this is quite the request. You are asking us to consider changing the very words of our Lord Jesus Christ. I, I don't know about that. However, you have been exceedingly generous to the church, so I tell you what, I'm actually heading to Rome next week for a meeting with the Pope with the College of Cardinals. I'll at least see if I can maybe get this on the agenda, but I am certainly making no promises. After all, the church owes you a great deal for all you have done, so I, I guess this is the least that we can do. The following week, the meeting of the College of Cardinals and the Pope convened in Vatican City. The Pope entered the room and called the meeting to order after an opening prayer. Gentlemen, the Pope said, we have much to discuss and to discern in our meeting today. However, the first item on our agenda takes priority, and that is discussing our current contract with Wonder Bread. <laughs> So I welcome you to this season of Lent, which began this past Wednesday as we celebrated Ash Wednesday together with our brothers and sisters from St. Paul's and St. Tim's and Garden City Presbyterian churches. And when you think about it, calling, it, calling Ash Wednesday a celebration really seems strange when the whole point of the service calls attention to our mortality. So the celebration comes in the fact that Ash Wednesday sets us on the Lenten road to resurrection. And our mortality is a poignant reminder of our need for a savior. During this Lenten season, we have picked up a truly fantastic book called Lent in Plain Sight, a devotion through 10 objects by Presbyterian pastor Jill Duffield. And I highly recommend you all grabbing a copy. Each week of Lent, Jill focuses on an object that you will find in scripture and then writes a quick reflection each day for that week. So this past week, from Wednesday to yesterday, Jill used dust as her object lesson. And starting today for the next week, the object will be bread. There just seems to be something magical, something comforting, something incredibly inviting about bread. Bread is diverse in its flavors and shapes and colors and smells. Bread is a memory of grandma and an old family recipe, or dad making you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich every day for your school lunch. Bread is complimentary, as many restaurants offer you a bread basket while you await your meal. Bread is home, bread is a gift and bread is a religious experience. So it's no wonder 
that bread takes on such a prominent and prolific place all throughout scripture, Old and New Testament alike, embodying such great meaning from everything from basic nutrition to a metaphor for salvation. In the early days of the Hebrew people, God required them to offer up the first grains of their harvest as a sacrifice for atonement for sin. Until Jesus comes along and says, I am the bread of life. In other words, the true source of salvation and the final and complete sacrifice for all time. In the book of Exodus, we learn about Moses leading the Hebrew people out of slavery and bondage and into the safety of the wilderness. But there's a small problem with that. Yes, it's good that they now have their freedom, yet literally overnight, they left their lives behind and suddenly became a nomadic people and found themselves in a situation with very little food. Yet God led them into this wilderness, so of course he was going to provide for their needs. And he did in the form of manna, bread from heaven, a daily gift from God. And God had very specific instructions with this gift. The Hebrew people were told to go out each morning and collect exactly what they needed for that day, except on the day before the Sabbath, they were to collect enough for two days so that they wouldn't have to work on their day of rest. Their daily gift from God was their daily bread. And if they collected more manna than they actually needed, it would begin to rot and smell. This was perhaps God's way of letting them know he recognized their lack of trust in his daily provision. Jesus was a well-educated Jewish man who clearly knew the Hebrew scriptures well. So as he is teaching his disciples how to pray, give us this day our daily bread, one would have to believe that he had the story of the Hebrew people in his mind and he knew the story of the manna from heaven, so graciously provided by God. It's a line that would resonate with first century Jews as they remembered their ancestors of old. And Jesus was reminding them of this fact through this prayer. For those who grew up in the church, how many times have we prayed the words, give us this day our daily bread? Yet how many times have we truly embraced their meaning and lived into the trust of our provider. Give us this day our daily bread. Gather just enough for the day, God says. Just enough. So what does that look like for us? Enough. What does God's provision truly look like for each one of us? And do we trust? that God will truly provide for our daily needs. There came a point in time where the Hebrew people were no longer satisfied with God's provision of daily bread, so they complained. So he gave them quail, and they eventually complained some more. They liked God's gifts at first, but eventually they grew tired and complained his provision wasn't enough. It wasn't what they wanted. So they missed the blessing. And how often do we do the same 
because our enough isn't the blessing that we wanted and we missed the fact that we received the blessing that we deserved. For tomorrow's devotional reading, Jill Duffield says something similar as she says this, Moses told the people God would provide all the bread that they wanted and God did. They didn't get an inadvertent overpayment from the electric company in the mail on the very day the rent was due in just the amount they needed. They got exactly what they expected, day after day. They even came to complain about the repetitiveness of the provision before long. They took it for granted and wanted more and other. They forgot to give thanks be surprised by grace, delighted by intangible signs of care, profuse in their gratitude. They got complacent and comfortable and forgot that everyday bread from heaven is worth rejoicing over every single day. They came to forget that everything, absolutely everything, from dresses to job offers, from breath to a day at the beach is in fact Bread from heaven, a gift, a blessing, something worth celebrating. But let's be honest, friends, it can be hard. In the monotony and sometimes the upheaval of life, it can be challenging to keep our focus on God. And quite honestly, it can be challenging to trust. Does he really provide? Is this really enough? Do we really trust that we are given everything that we need for the day? Plus, it's really hard to only focus on today when we also have to concern ourselves with the future. Am I saving enough for retirement? Am I studying enough for the grades I need to get into the school I want? What about next year's vacation? What about those medical bills due at the end of the month? Questions like these can cause us to wonder how strong our faith really is if we struggle to trust God enough for today. So, that's, so that brings us back around to the question, what does enough for today truly look like? For so much of our lives, we have been trained to take the long view of life so as, as disciples, there's a fight in our soul to be content with today's daily bread while also trying to plan for an uncertain future. But when you cast your bread upon the waters, like the writer of Ecclesiastes says, it shall be returned to you. So in this struggle of being content with our daily bread while also preparing for tomorrow, we take the gifts that we have been given to us and in return, we send them out to others. As Jill Duffield once again says, casting your bread upon the water, sowing seed in the morning, and working with diligence engenders humility, not a cynical attitude resigned to fate or itching for karma or looking for a lucky break, but hopeful assurance that God provides and sustains often in ways that we could not foresee. A life of casting bread on the water is a life of patience and long views, and such characteristics do not get lauded 
in a culture of quarterly returns and instant messaging. Our lives are not left to luck, fate, karma, or chance, because we believe in the triune God who creates, redeems, and sustains. Therefore, we cast our bread on the waters with abandon and joy, trusting the one who rules heaven and earth to use it to bring to us a beautiful mystery, divinely certain, humanly impossible to fully understand. So here we are, my friends. Lent has only just begun, and we have a long road to travel yet on our way to Calvary. And we're starting with this challenge to embrace the gift of our daily bread and to know what enough truly looks like. We faithfully pray the words of Jesus, give us this day our daily bread. And God answers as he commands us to gather up just enough of his provision for this day. Yet the question still remains, what is enough? And it's a question we not only ask ourselves, but we ask this of others and we ask this of God. What is enough? What is enough hope so that my neighbor may find reconciliation? Give us this day our daily bread. What is enough justice so that no one is cast aside? Give us this day our daily bread. What is enough love so that the outcast may find worth? Give us this day our daily bread. What is enough understanding so that unity may prevail? Give us this day our daily bread. What is enough compromise so that we may cease to argue? Give us this day our daily bread. What is enough power so that countries may live in peace? Give us this day our daily bread. Like bread, God's love and provision is diverse and bountiful. God's love and provision is full of everything that we need to sustain life and life to the full and to sustain life in the hereafter. God may not always give us what we want, but he always gives us everything we need. God's love and provision is enough. And God's son was enough. Enough sacrifice to defeat the power of hell. Enough light to dispel the darkness. Enough love to overcome the grave. Jesus is our daily bread. And Jesus is enough. Amen.